0: I want to share a story that Shirley shared with me a few weeks ago, and some of you may have heard this, I asked, you look up here, but I asked her for permission, but a few weeks ago, Shirley shared a story with me about how she found this church, about how she found Discovery Church, and she said that she was driving by one day, and she saw this big sign out front that said Discovery Church, and I haven't seen any pictures of this sign, but I hear that it was a very humble-looking sign, it was temporary for a reason, it was made of plywood and paint, and I don't know all the details, but she said that that sign drew her in. She said she saw it, and it looked like a humble sign, and she said, I wonder what I'll discover there, and so she came to this church, and I love that story. When I first heard the church's name, Discovery Church, it made me curious. It made me intrigued, and so Discovery Church, what is it that we are discovering here, (laughs) Um, And it reminded me of a story from John 1, and that's where we will be going this morning. Jesus is calling his disciples. And so if you'll turn with me to John chapter 1. John chapter 1, I'm going to read 35 through 46. Jesus, or John's disciples follow Jesus, is what this passage is about. And says, the next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, What do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they spent that day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who had heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, We have found the Messiah, that is the Christ, and he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John, you will be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, Follow me. Philip like Andrew and Peter, was from Bethesda. Philip found Nathanael and told him, We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law, and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth, can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked. Come and see, said Philip. The disciples here are discovering Jesus. The disciples are discovering who God is in this story. They're discovering Jesus and they're following Jesus. And they don't fully understand who Jesus is, but they're following him. And as you read the Gospels, you'll discover towards the end, it seems like they still don't really understand or comprehend who Jesus is, is, but they follow him anyways. They're intrigued. And Jesus says, come and you will see. Come and discover what Jesus is all about. And then there's this comment towards the end where Philip, he goes to Nathanael. And he tells him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law, the one about whom the prophets also wrote about, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael, he responds, Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? And Philip simply responds, come and see. This verse, John one forty-six. this verse is where the church of the Nazarene gets its name. Nazareth, can anything good come from there? Nazareth, it makes it sound like a, like a not-so-great place. And a little history about the Church of the Nazarene, the denomination that we're a part of, <coughs> it was founded by a guy named Phineas Brzee. and Phineas Brzee, he was actually born in New York, Franklin, New York, which I looked it up on a map, is about two hours south, does anyone confirm that? Um, but he was originally a Methodist minister <laughs> In the late 1800s. And he made his way out to California. And in those days, the Methodist Church would build these gorgeous buildings, these big, spectacular buildings. And you don't have to drive very far to find one. I don't know how many of you know this, but the Greystone Castle just down on Main Street was a Methodist Episcopal church that was built in 1908. And so, Where I'm going with this is that the Methodist churches have these big, beautiful buildings. And if you were to ever look on a register of national historic places, Methodist churches make that list over and over and over again. And they took pride in their buildings, these big, fancy buildings, and they required donors. And often in those days, they do not do it anymore, but the big donors would get these plaques that would go on the pews, And often, the front row was a really desirable place to sit, which I'm noticing no one's sitting in this front row here. (laughs) The front row was the place to be, and so they would get these plaques, and so the rich people would be sitting in the front, and the poor people would be stuck in the back. But Phineas Brzee, he wanted a simple church. He He moved to California, and he began ministering to the people on Skid Row, the people who were homeless, who were addicted, who had all these things going on. They were in poverty. And Phineas Brazil dreamed of a church where the poorest of poor would feel welcome to sit on the front row seat. And in the first century, in Jesus' day, the word Nazarene had this derogatory tone to it. You can hear it in the question of Nazareth. Can anything good come from there? Nazareth was a small, very, very humble town. In other words, they were poor. They didn't have a lot of money. It was the last place you would expect for the savior of the universe to come from, it was a place kind of like Skid Row, where you didn't want to go. They have this reputation for being a place where nothing good ever comes. Can anything good come from Nazareth? Can anything good come from Skid Row? Can anything good come from the homeless camp? And I like Philip's answer here, it's simply come and see. He doesn't try to give the reasons why, he just says come and see, come and discover. Come and experience it for yourself. And so I think where I want to go here is to say that God is often found in the places where you would least expect him. In Phineas, for he said, Let the church of the Nazarene be true to its commission, not with great and elegant buildings, but to feed the hungry and clothe the naked and wipe away the tears of the sorrow. He believed that the mission of the church was to minister to the poor. And he said, the gospel comes to a multitude without money and without price, and the poorest of poor are entitled to a front row seat in the church of the Nazarene. And if I were to change that, I might say the back row seat, because that seems to be the popular seat. (laughs) But you don't have to have money or fancy signs to share the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God. Jesus was from Nazareth, the place where nothing good ever comes. We're in week five, I believe it's week five of our series, Binge Reading the Bible. And after the Old Testament prophets, which we looked at last week, there was 400 years of silence. The Babylonian empire fell, but then uprose the Roman empire. It was a different name, but the same story. The Israelite people were under oppression and they longed for a savior. The Messiah, the anointed one, the one who would come and liberate them from these rulers that were over top with them. They wanted a knight in shiny armor, and along comes this baby. A baby boy who grew up in a town where nothing good ever comes. It's not the savior they were expecting. It wasn't the mighty arm that came and wiped out the Roman Empire. It was a little, tiny baby. And so Jesus, he comes on the scene in this story, and people just start following him. They're intrigued. They begin following Jesus. And I'm going to jump over to the book of Mark for a minute. Mark chapter 1 also here. And also, just a quick note about Mark. Whenever I meet someone who is new to reading the Bible, I always recommend that they start with Mark. Because Mark is a short book, and it's also action-packed. He's always using this word immediately, immediately this happened and immediately that happened. And some people joke that he must have had ADHD because he's going from one scene to the next scene to the next. And there's even YouTube videos that you can watch where people will memorize the book of Mark and they'll act it all out. And it's it's quite entertaining, but it's also a good place to start if you're ever looking to read the Bible. But today I want to go to Mark 1, 14 through 15. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Jesus bursts onto the scene and he begins declaring that the kingdom of God has come near. The time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. But what is this good news, and what does it mean that the kingdom of God has come near? For this next part, i want to do an illustration. The hardest part about this sermon series, Binge Reading the Bibles, is that I'm trying to encompass the whole gospel story into one sermon, and it is very hard to do. I, and so any parts I miss, we'll get to those in the years to come. <laughs> but for this part, I'm going to invite Austin up here to help me out. And we have two hula hoops, stand up here. And I saw this on a video and I saw a pastor do this and I thought this was a good illustration. So let's see, I'm gonna look at my notes so I don't get this wrong up here. But for the, these hula hoops, let's pretend this represents the earth and this represents heaven. And we often read about both heaven and earth in the Bible. And in the beginning, it says heaven and earth were one. We have the Garden of Eden. And heaven, let's say this represents the kingdom of God. This represents order. This represents God's goodness, God's presence, God's justice, God's beauty, all of those things. And earth, this is human space. That's where humans reside. And so in the beginning, in the Garden of Eden, heaven and earth were one. But then sin comes along and they're separated because God's goodness and holiness and purity and justice, it couldn't it couldn't stand alongside sin, and so the two were separated. And throughout the Old Testament, we see these stories of, I'm trying to think of how to explain, but we see the Ark of the Covenant, we see the temple, we see the tabernacle, and this is where heaven and earth start to overlap. That's where God's goodness and God's presence are being restored, and there's these animal sacrifices, which is a whole other topic that I don't have time to go into today, but we see those two overlapping, but earth is still, this was earth, right? Earth is still, um, <laughs> is still a lot of chaos and disorder and sin, and so, I need to look at my notes, and so, in the gospel story, we see Jesus coming to earth, and Jesus inhabits this space where heaven and earth are one, and Jesus the sacrificed, and throughout his life, we see him bringing hope, healing, and wholeness to the world through the miracles of restoring people, restoring order, where there's chaos, and there's these little pockets, what I call it, heaven, all along the earth, just these little pockets where he's going around, and in the whole biblical narrative, we'll get to Revelation in a few weeks, but the whole biblical narrative at the end of the Bible, it talks about heaven and earth becoming one. We often talk about going to heaven when we die, but At the end, it talks about God creating a new heaven and a new earth where things are one, where they're like that beginning in the Garden of Eden where God's space is our space and we get to dwell with God for eternity. And I don't know if that visual was helpful for you, but that was helpful (laughs) for me. And there's so much more that I could say, but for now, I want you to think about those pockets of heaven on earth because we're still living in this space. Because this is our commission is to go out and make disciples of the nation to bring God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven to be a little pocket of heaven for somebody else. And that can look like that can look like the I always forget the name Operation Christmas Child bringing hope healing and wholeness to a child that can look like partnering with the community action that can look like a lot of different things. But that that is our commission is to go and make disciples of the nation and next week. We're going to look at the Holy Spirit. We're going to study Pentecost because it's the Holy Spirit who empowers us to be Christ's hands and feet in the earth. It's through the power of the Holy Spirit that we are able to partner with God in making all things new. And it's only through the power of the Holy Spirit that we are able to bring that hope, healing, and wholeness to other people. And today... Trying to see how long can <laughs> but, uh, I can get him to keep his Today, I wanted to recite the Lord's Prayer together again. And we're going to close today in communion. And I haven't done communion here at this church before. This is my first communion with you all. But I thought, you can put it down now. But I thought we would, if I do need you to stay up here, we would recite the Lord's Prayer today. And the version I have up here is debts and debtors, but go ahead and recite the Lord's Prayer in whatever version you're most comfortable with. Maybe next time I'll work on getting slides up there for this. But let's let's go to the Lord with the Lord's Prayer today. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread,